Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Jessica Pringle, for going to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and becoming a patron of the original cast. You chose an amazing time to join because not only do you gain access to the original cast at the movies and all previous 45 episodes we've recorded over the last couple of years, but you have joined during the year of Sondheim, where we are digging into Sondheim movie musicals. We just did Camp with Robbie Rizal and Michael Fink. And upcoming next month, we are doing Sweeney Todd with Farrell Parker and Danielle Molman. Talking about Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, I'm sure that's going to be interesting. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, Sweeney Todd, that's what's coming out in October. Out right now, like I said, is Camp, the cult classic, where Sondheim is, as Robbie puts it, an under five. We're having a really great year talking about Sondheim. I'm so glad that Jessica could join us. I hope you will join us. I hope you will go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and become a patron of the original cast. And all patron levels receive access to the original cast of the movies. And there's some other tiers if you want some additional fun things as well, Um, including uh, one tier where you can watch us record live the original cast of the movies over a live stream and that is a a new thing we're doing and it seems to be taking off and so we're going to keep doing it so be like jessica and go to patreon.com slash original cast pod all right here's the show whenever my world falls apart i never lose hope or lose heart whatever the form of the storm that may brew not with you to lean on darlings you hello and welcome to the original cast a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them i'm patrick flynn my guest today is a novelist children's author tv writer book writer and lyricist it's dan ellish everybody yeah thank you very much it's very sweet i I'm 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 very thank you. That's very sweet of you. Wordsmith. I guess we just yeah, yeah we just go by Wordsmith. Yeah, Wordsmith. Right? Good. Yeah, Wordsmith. Here we go. Good. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Dan and I got in touch because of the the effervescent Doug Cohen and uh, yeah. your you guys musical, The Evolution of Man, which we will certainly talk about because uh, it's it's going on soon. Yes, here. it is. There's a yeah. another production of it coming up. Yeah. We're excited about. And we're very yes, yeah, so we're absolutely going to talk about that. But first, we're here because you're here to talk about um, Ella Fitzgerald sings Rogers and Hart. I'm wild again, beguiled again, a simpering, whimpering child again, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. sleep and wouldn't sleep when love came and told me I shouldn't sleep bewitched bothered and bewildered am I the album that got me into shows yeah, so this is really funny. I have always wanted on this, we've done tons and tons of original cast albums, and I've always wanted someone to pick an album like this, a vocalist Broadway-style album. But I will confess, I didn't think it was going to be this one. Oh, really? <laughs> this, yeah. This is, I was familiar, I knew this album existed, because it's sort of, a not a set exactly, but it's this and Ella Sings, Cole Porter. and Cole Porter and all that, yeah. Yeah, she has a whole series of these. So I was aware of this one, but... 
I had never listened to it from top to bottom until you recommended it. I'm certainly glad I did. But how did Ella Fitzgerald sings Rogers and Hart come into your life? Well, it's weird. It's through my mom. Um, she, I just, it was weird. I, um, she just had it in the house and she would play it all the time, you know, occasionally growing up and the songs were kind of in the background of my life. I'm born in 1960. So I'm really, the music I liked as a kid, um, I knew shows, but I didn't, you know, my, I knew West Side Story. I knew Fiddler on the Roof, um, the real heavy hitter shows. And I loved them, mm-hmm. but like, I wasn't a fan of musicals, really. I was a fan of things like the Beatles and Elton John, et cetera. Those Joni mm-hmm. Mitchell, that kind of stuff. Huge Beatles fan. But mm-hmm. then like I started playing piano. This is just the quick version. When I was 16, I played guitar growing up. And um, I have a good ear, and I got good at piano pretty quickly. And senior year in high school, which was 1978, 79, it was just almost weird. My mom had this on, and I started to listen to it. And it was just almost overnight, I became, like, obsessed with this album. And Mm. Richard Rodgers, in fact, two years earlier, Ewell Brenner had been in a revival of The King and I, and my mom took me to see it, and I loved it. But... um, I didn't even know who Richard Rogers was. You know, I was in 10th grade and I saw Annie. I saw, I loved chorus line. I like shows, but I didn't, I had no recognition of who wrote them or didn't really care. Um, even when I would listen to the cast albums, but this is the first time I so fell in love with this album and the music and lyrics and her voice that, um, I just sort of became obsessed with Richard Rogers. It was weird. You know, I, uh, he had an autobiography out then I got it. I read it. I reread mm. it um, that year in school. I co-played piano for a production of South Pacific. And um, I just started to have dreams of writing musicals. It like happened very quickly. Wow. That so, is um, very fast. Yeah. So it is fast. It was strange. What is it about, do you think this album specifically that really dug you well, into um, music? It's an interesting question. I'm still not sure. <laughs> I mean, every song is great. I'm a big Richard Rogers fan. I mean, as I've, got more into musicals i like all the people that people you know like i like Mm -hmm. sondheim i like the big names writing today who are good um you know i really like frank lesser but he was the first and i just think his output and consistency was kind of overwhelming and i just um i just really like the music and i also found it kind of suited my ear i could start to play by ear then and i could Mm. figure out richard rogers songs uh more easily than say like a modern person but like stevie wonder sure. who has like kind of funkier more modern harmony that was harder for me to hear i could mm-hmm. just hear show two and harmony harmony pretty well um but you know i'm really not sure i just found the songs really beautiful i found the lyrics to be um the first ones i remember that i remember growing up was to keep my love alive and um mm. you know um the incredible wit of the lyrics of that and um, songs like um, it never entered my mind, Um, you know, a line like um, uneasy in my easy chair, Um, Mm -hmm. just Larry Hart. There was just incredible. I know he's coming to some criticism today a little bit, but um, I just think when he was at his best, he was stellar, really kind of heartbreaking and witty. And um, I don't know. I just think I was primed to like show tunes and this is the album that was there you know so this first one i then quickly went on to other things but Mm -hmm. i was pretty obsessed with this album all senior year of high school i would 
play it for friends. They look at me strangely, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) I remember playing, um, I remember playing a song I still love and getting ready to chat with you. I listened to the album again, but a song I used to love. I still love, I don't want to use the past tense, but Mm -hmm. I almost listened to this album so much. I burnt out on it. Mm -hmm. Um, which happens to me at some shows I love. Like I did that with um, actually the last five years, the musical when it first came out. Oh, yeah. Too. It felt so fresh and good to me. I listened to it so many times. I almost got to a point where, you know, I just listened to it again after 10 years of not listening to it. Like, oh, wow, this is really great. But right, I, I yeah. almost over kind of hearing it fresh. Yeah, I almost over So yeah. hearing this fresh, but a song I remember playing for a friend who didn't particularly like show tunes. I played... Um, um, I wish I were in love again and just the wit mm-hmm. of those lyrics, you know, um, and uh, no, he was impressed, but I, um, so I really liked it. Um, I could go on from there to say one other album I liked that year that kind of dovetailed. Sure. Which was, that was the year to tell my age, but I just said I was born in 1960. Well, yeah. You told us what year you were I told born. You, so it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm You've thrilled, revealed yourself. I'm thrilled yeah, to be right. here. I'm thrilled. Too late to backtrack now. I'm thrilled to still be here. Um, it doesn't feel that old. But um, my senior year is also the year Sweeney Todd opened on Broadway. And I oh, grew sure. up in New York. Sure. And um, I know Sondheim's so different in a way in tone than Rogers and Hart, which is kind of mm-hmm. more upbeat, for lack of a better word. And, you know, when it's sad, very bittersweet. And, um, Sondheim is darker, especially Sweeney Todd. But uh, I was really taken. Another thing I almost thought of saying, but I'm sure you and a lot of people have said Sweeney Todd. I also sort of became obsessed with Sweeney Todd that year because I saw the commercial. There was a really mm. good, any theater advertisers listening to this shit, <laughs> this commercials sometimes work. They had Andrew Lansbury and Len Cariou and mm-hmm. going, the demon Barbara Fleet Street. And it just seems so yeah. weird and cool. And again, for somebody who loves shows and has written shows, I didn't know who Stephen Sondheim was. I didn't even know the name. And I had been in a production of West Side Story in 10th grade. I knew who Leonard Bernstein was. Everybody mm-hmm. in New York knew, you know, he was just massively famous. And the music yeah. from West Side Story is so amazing. And uh, Leonard Bernstein had a daughter about my age who was growing up in New York when I did. I never knew her, but everybody knew who he was, you know, but sure. I didn't know. Well, and he was on TV and yes. he was like, he was yes. a personality. He hosted specials. He totally. was, you know, but that kind of, yeah. It took me till Sweeney Todd, like, even though it's a little embarrassing or it's respect that I was, I was a shark. Um, I had one line. <laughs> I won't say it, what, what it is because it's in the script, but it's sort of politically incorrect to say ah sure sure during a fight i blurred out this one epithet anyway so i couldn't really (laughs) act but um i didn't know that sondheim even wrote the lyrics but then i saw Mm -hmm. i was so i love this commercial so much again i said to my mom i really want to see this show and we Mm -hmm. went to see and i was that show really made me fall in love with musicals and that cast album and i think Mm -hmm. again the incredible wit and, you know, he kind of had me at the opening stanza of the first song. Mm-hmm. You know, attend the tales. I, will, I won't sing it for people. But <laughs> most of your listeners, I'm sure, know it. I'm sure. Yeah. The next year, I was a freshman in college, and I went to Middlebury. And I wrote two shows in college that, you know, I wrote the music and everything that got put on. But um, I was one of these weird kids who freshman year, I would play show tunes, and I played Sweeney Todd a lot. My roommate... Mm-hmm was very patient it was very kind of not usual in 1980 
sure to be playing musicals blaring them in the hall of, um but i um i ran into my roommate on the street five years ago my freshman year roommate and i went charlie <laughs> and he went dan and then he went without missing a beat again the tale of sweeney <laughs> like he um <laughs> remembered that um you know he, he sang it in a funny voice he was very good natured but uh <laughs> I'd say Ella Fitzgerald sings Rising Heart plus Sweeney Todd kind of really. Well, that's two ends of a spectrum, too. That's no, pretty... they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty That's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think Rogers and Hart have been, I mean, derided is probably the wrong word, but certainly looked down upon in more modern Do you, era. Because, like, I... I mean, the one person I am, again, I, you know, somebody will use the word revere, you know, Stephen mm-hmm. Sondheim as much as anybody. And I. I um, even though I came to Richard Rogers first, I you know I love Sondheim. Mm-hmm. I've never met him, you know. I've written a couple of letters. He wrote me back. He couldn't be nicer. But I, you know, I read his book, his book, sure. finishing that, and I thought he was a little harsh on Larry Hart. I mean, yeah, I, and- he's so smart that it's hard to disagree. Who can refute Stephen Sondheim about anything? He could, you know, say anything, and I'd agree with him. But that being said. Yeah. I felt like you're being a little harsh on Larry Hart here. It it does feel a little rough. I have <laughs> yeah. to, and I think that's where. But I was gonna say, I think that book specifically is where the modern opinion of Lorenz Hart's lyrics comes from. Is is people reading yeah. that book and taking the master's words and you know because the thing that I I mean I love finishing the hat and look I made a hat. I think they're tremendous books. I think if you want to write musicals, I think they're amazing guides on because he's so good at explaining. Yes. why he made choices he made, which is incredible for somebody who's that creative to to be able to articulate everything, you know, reasons behind everything he did. But he does have a very specific, especially with lyricists, a very specific kind of like several sets of rules that he lays out for what he thinks a good lyric is. No. And if you drift outside of those lines, he, he docks you points basically for it. And he doesn't take into account, I think... The that there are different he's right I mean he has his rules and that's great and they're good rules but like there's a lot of different ways to do it there's a lot of different ways to play in the space and I think Lorenz Hart is just playing in a different space than Sondheim is interested in playing in yeah it was uh, also like I felt um, again I just to say I felt he made valid points obviously mm-hmm. so smart yeah um, I love that book and his description of a lot of the lyrics or lyricists are so good but um it was also a different era, you know, like Hart yes. wasn't, um, the songs were more interchangeable in shows. And like, if you think how Hart and Ira Gershwin, who he's also critical of, and I like Hart better than Ira Gershwin, but I also like Ira Gershwin's lyrics a lot. Um, mm-hmm. How they moved it forward to being with wit and being so much liter- so much more literate than like the operettas that came in the teens and stuff. Um mm-hmm. And I felt like there's also a thing when you're criticizing somebody. I mean, Sondheim, to his credit, I can't believe we're here saying anything negative about Stephen Sondheim. Is gonna be, <laughs> well, you know, I think whatever. he can take it. He can take it. Yeah, he can take it. No, 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 but I, I love his work. I just feel, <laughs> yeah. I just like Larry Hart so much. I felt like it was a little hard. Um, he, um, it's very easy. I kind of feel like you should judge people by uh, their best work. You know, you should judge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to like pick. He does say in the book, because I read it a couple of times, you know, this these kind of mistakes are all throughout Larry Hart's work, you know, mm-hmm. mis-rhymes and 
Like he did, but he is really hard. Like he doesn't like the line. is one of right. the great lyrics and it's like classic he analyzes lyric, yeah. why and i yeah. sort of see what he's saying but when you're listening to it, it it you know i think it's brilliant and it evokes this image of this person your looks are laughable and photographable mm-hmm. and it's also just this very clever rhyme and uh, i think it works but he's uh, yeah he is pretty um it's pretty hard but i felt he's like hard, a little yeah. bit of picking some lyrics that weren't that good as opposed to picking, Mm -hmm. you know, it never entered my mind or I wish I were in love again or all the great things. Also Larry Hart, I feel like his stuff at his best is, could be like the most, um, could really get me, you know, it's very touching Mm -hmm. in a bittersweet way. Like, Mm -hmm. um, spring is here or, um, uh, lyrics to that, um, the verse to that. Once there was a thing called spring when the world was writing verses like yours and mine. All the lads and girls would sing when we sat at little tables and drank May wine. Now April, May, and June. Sadly out of tune Life has stuck the pin in the bone You know, it's so mm-hmm. sad. <laughs> and I know that His, since yeah. I read about Larry Hart, he was kind of a sad guy. It was pretty sad. Yeeah, he had a pretty sad life. Yeah, yeah. despite his great is... success. So, And I feel that comes through and I find it, just find it moving. Yeah, there's great longing in his lyrics. I yeah. always feel like there's great... Even in his happiest or most celebratory songs, there is a real sense of 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 pain in a lot of his stuff, and it's it's what gives them three dimensions. There's that color underneath the whole time. Yeah. The the song that I love the most, I think, on this album, I think actually it's probably my favorite Rodgers and Hart song, and is um, uh, I could write a book. Oh yeah, yeah I, I love, love the way he really plays with that metaphor, kind of endlessly and uses you know like like the simple message of the plot and falling stuff around like really getting into that all the way and it's just this sweet little basic love sing and love song but it does have this great depth to it and this great sort of like obsession inside of it and it's just really you know it's a lot like night and day the cole porter song in that way if they asked me i could write a book about the way you walk and whisper and look i could write a preface I also think, um, again, obviously, Rogers and Hart just, um, they just met and they met when Rogers was like 18 or 19, as I imagine you. Right. I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, and um, 
there's just such a great blending of uh, music and lyrics. Rogers really did get very lucky with his co- two major yeah. collaborators that he <laughs> yeah. got because they're so they could not be more different. Oscar Hammerstein and Lorenz Hart in terms of their approach, in terms of what they were interested in doing. That you yeah. know they were wildly different people, but they were also both wildly different from him, which is yeah. where I think he gets true advantage. Is that he yeah. his music really is elevated by the lyrics of those two collaborators and his music elevates their work. It's a, it's a really harmonious relationship, which is a hard one, you know, in that era when, you know, they were writing shows, but they were really writing songs. I mean, Rogers and Hart are Tin Pan Alley. Oh, absolutely. Yes. They're, they're songsmiths. That's what they're really, you know, they're selling tunes and they're churning them out as fast as they possibly can. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, um, yeah, I agree. It is pretty amazing how he, I mean, Rogers was so brilliant, how he, uh, how different his work is under the two. It's interesting because I've yeah. read, a, I've read a, I feel Richard Rogers again, I was sort of disillusioned because I was such a fan of his, mm-hmm. you know, at kind of a young age, you know, I was 17 or 18. And um, it's incredible how you can build up your idols in your head. That sort of happened with me. It's like, wait a second, Richard Rogers, you know, <laughs> I read an interview with him where he was saying, you know, he was cursing and saying things that were like by today's standards, really politically incorrect. And you're like, yeah, come on. On the other hand, reading his biography, uh, not his autobiography, but the biography that came out, like when he turned a hundred, I think it was called mm-hmm. the sweetest sounds, mm-hmm. which I read. Um, I got the impression he was much, he had a lot more fun with heart, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of it, he mm-hmm. became so successful with Hammerstein and they kind of became a corporation and he was so talented. He could just turn out these great things. And you just got the impression that um, there was more joy in, in the work and doing it with heart. Not that the work is better. That's just so different. So that's. Yeah. I, I think okay. that's accurate. I, I, from all I read about Rogers and Hammerstein, their partnership was a lot more of a, partnership than a friendship yes they they were friendly certainly and they socialized and they were business partners for years and years and years so they obviously got along yeah um and wrote you know 10 however many shows they wrote together but they were not social social partners they didn't go out all the time it's not like lennon mccartney they weren't with each other a lot but rogers and hart were rogers and hart like they were really doing you know seemed like they had they were they were because they also would have had to work in very close proximity together for you know like i say churning out songs yeah if you're not also friends with that person that's gonna be a hard life you also heart needed to be in the room with her as i'm sure you know because yeah Mm -hmm. you're such an expert on this but for those the few people listening who don't know this (laughs) (laughs) lauren's heart would often was very um was a hard to pin down guy and hard to get in a yes. room. And then he was like a genius. He wrote very quickly and he yeah. needed to be inspired by hearing music. So Rogers would write the music first. And so they had to spend a lot of time together or else they wouldn't. Yeah. yeah and I feel like there was real affection between them. I mean, what do I know? I didn't meet them, but just from all I've read, mm-hmm. and I feel there was affection between Roger and Hammerstein, but you're right. It was more of a business. Yeah. They weren't buddies. They weren't yeah. in that. You know, like I say, it wasn't Lennon McCartney. It wasn't best yeah. friends who also happened to write songs. They 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 partnered up, both being established songwriters when they met yeah. and established. You know, and somebody said, "Hey, this would be a great idea. You should, you two should work together." And yeah, 
and it was a great idea. It was a great collaboration, but it was a, yeah, it was a business style arrangement. I don't mean, not to diminish that, obviously, like they still had to get along <laughs> to be yeah. who they were and to do the great work that they did. But yes, I think you're right. I think that Rogers and Hart were much more like in a band together. Yeah, like no, 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 that's very, that's very, yeah. Putting, they were young. I mean, it must have been so, it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing that like on this album, one of my favorite songs still is, and it's funny, um, I have this good friend who doesn't really like, uh, he's not a particular fan of shows at all, but the mm. other, he's he discovered this version of Blossom Deary singing Manhattan. And he's like, <laughs> the last month, he's been listening to it obsessively. I'll take Manhattan, the Bronx and Staten Island too. It's lovely going through the zoo. He's another oh, well. like sixty-year-old guy who grew up, you know, in my generation, <laughs> listening to the pop music of that day. You know, not sure. Tunes. He's not a sh- and um, but it's just amazing that Manhattan. It's 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 like these people like Richard Rogers at his best the Beatles, Sondheim at his best, whatever. When you listen to it, even these years later, hearing it still sounds fresh. There's just something mm-hmm. unique. And the melody of Manhattan is, uh, I can't believe you wrote it. He was 19. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. If you're 19 and listening to this, it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. I used to... Um, I originally wanted to get into shows, you know, I, cause I play piano and I've written music for shows, nothing really professionally. I've written some music for, um, in college and then for a bunch of kid shows that I, I really do like mm-hmm. the music and I'm proud of it, but it's not something I pursued professionally in years and years mm-hmm. and years. But when I was that age, I was, that's what I thought I was. I thought mm-hmm. in college, I wrote the lyrics, but I also thought I was, I, my thought was I was, better at music and mm. um, but it kind of turned out that i was more of a writer especially when i got into writing books um and my music seemed um i like it but it's just i don't want to put it down but it's um it felt like the the word stuff got better let's put it that mm. way but mm-hmm. um the reason i bring this up is this thing about being 19 i was so young when i was doing this i remember being in college and i was college people and I had these two shows go on and I got a lot of uh, credit for them in college and people really liked them. And I was thinking, well, Gershwin was 24 when he wrote Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, yeah. That gives me, that gives me three more years. I'm going to yeah. write Rhapsody in Blue. It's so embarrassing to think <laughs> of the, the eager arrogance of youth, you know, the enthusiastic arrogance of youth. Not that, um, yeah. and I remember thinking, you know, uh, yeah, but then, um, you know, I obviously, you know, I'm not George Gershwin, and that's totally fine. <laughs> that's and a good day, though. That's a I've good done. day. Yeah. I think that's an important day in every creative person's yeah, life. Yeah, 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 to realize, realize okay. oh, I'm not, I'm not the genius that I, like, that I idolize. Because yes. I remember being in college and in, you know, studying film and thinking, like, okay, well, Orson Welles was 25 when he made Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 21, oh, so I've got, I got a couple years, yeah, so I've got a couple years, like you said, I got four years to get this together. Yeah, 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 And it's just not, 
it's also apples and oranges because it's a different time. It's not, you know, those guys didn't go to college. They were working. Yeah, <laughs> like they were doing, you know, they were in vaudeville. You know what I mean? Like they weren't, they weren't having the same life experience <laughs> that we were having. So yeah. it's not. And also you, yeah. You know, sounds so trite, but you have to, you know, everybody is their own. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I, it is, um, their own journey. That sounds so trite, but, um, the, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I've thought that. It's I think as young writers, as somebody since I've said my age, mm. sixty, I, I just it is more of a marathon. And looking back now, yes. I'm like happy with what I've done. But if you think, I mean, my favorite people, artists, when I was with the Beatles, I remember mm-hmm. when I was like twenty five, I read, uh, you know, I love the Beatles. They were like my first musical love, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Hard Day's Night when I was four, and just fell in love with them oh, wow my i had an older brother he loved them you know mm-hmm. i remember coming home from the grocery market one day when i was seven and my brother being at the top of the stairs going paul is dead paul is dead you know paul mccartney you know that yeah movie, yeah paul mccartney was dead and yes just, everybody was freaked out for a year listening to <laughs> you know the end of strawberry fields spinning revolution backwards. nine backwards and just yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like thinking paul mccartney was like, billy shears was paul you know but right then, like i remember reading I didn't realize till the day, like I turned 25, I happened to read something that Sergeant Peppers came out like a week before Paul McCartney turned 25. Yeah. So like the Beatles, the major bulk, well, they sold the White Album and Abbey Road, you know, they had other great stuff, but, um, but all before they were 30. All, I mean, well, all before he was 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, and so like I did fall into the trap which I think a lot of people do, like, you know, you've Rogers, Gershwin, Beatles, all my idols were so, um, just so successful, like in their early 20s. It's like, it just mm-hmm. doesn't, it's true, but it just doesn't, I mean, even Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, he had into the heights in his 20s, but Hamilton is what, you know, he was yeah. at least 35, you know. Yes, he was. <laughs> I mean, yes. you know, it's like, We'll all take solace in that. Yeah, yeah. No, but I that's mean, a good, but actually he's a good analog for this kind of conversation because you think that like the, the the Beatles released you know, whatever it is, eight albums in eight years or whatever it is, all before any of them was 30. And but now, you know, bands, even the most successful young bands don't release an album a year. Things take longer to gestate. There's a longer stretch time. And Lin-Manuel being a prodigy and being young and being successful took, you know, eight years to develop in the Heights. And then he took eight years to develop Hamilton. Like it's, it is a much slower process. And because, and, but Rogers and Hart and Rogers and Hammerstein and even Sondheim in his, in his first decade or second decade really are producing quickly because that's the model that's what we're working on you know sondheim won three tony you know three best score tonys in three years yeah that would that can't happen today like it just it's it's not something true i I wonder yeah it is kind of just brings us me and we can talk about this more later and i don't Mm -hmm. it's just a transition to this show that i wrote with doug cohen you mentioned earlier yeah Mm -hmm. um evolution of man which is just the gestation of that show we're about to have our depending on how you count it, like our fourth or fifth production, which is really cool, but it's a small, mm-hmm. it's based on this novel I wrote called nine wives, which I wrote in the late nineties. And it was published in 2005. And then Doug and I started working on it as a musical, like in 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it's like only a show. I mean, it's very hard to get right. And I feel like in this version, we've made more changes. And I've, I'm really, I've been happy with every version of it, but like, I'm really happy with this version. Mm-hmm. And I hope that assuming it gets done more or in hopes that it keeps getting done, we'll see what the future holds. I think this is the version that we would want people to do. But that's... Um, mm. Sort of besides the point. I just my point is like this is a small show, mm-hmm. you know. Starring there's a lot of doubling of parts, and part of the fun of it is one actress plays a lot of different roles. I'm just stunned at how long it's taken. And the other major show I did professionally, uh, thirteen took a long time. Though that went faster because mm-hmm. we got some breaks along the way. But even mm-hmm. after it opened in New York and didn't do as well as we hoped. Um, Jason Robert Brown wrote it, you know, and Robert Horn, who also wrote the book, like rewrote, have been re, you know, rewrote it, different versions to be done in schools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've had something to do with that. It's just, it is. I don't know what it is that um, it was just much faster. Part of it is economics, of course. It's just so hard to get something on. It's just well, so and it's also hard. it was so much more disposable. Yeah. I mean. The, these these songs like the Rogers and Hart are working from are really in the ether. They're meant to be printed, really. It's sheet music. We're selling, yeah. you know, there's recordings being made, obviously. But that's not the, the, the way they become standards is that they go out to sheet music to bands around the country and then those artists perform them or they perform live on like local radio and that, or they end up in movies. Like that's how, and but there's no home media to speak of, you know, records are available, but they're limited. In Rogers and Hart in their peak, you know, in the in the in the twenties and and thirties. Yeah. And now, you know, it's it's so much more. You know, everything, every ver- like, you know, there's a cast album for Evolution of Man. There there may be another. It wouldn't surprise me. You know what I mean? Like, there's always several versions. These things get recorded. They get released. Like that's the lifeblood kind of of it uh, to a certain extent. It's it's much less disposable. It's much less the attitude of like, well, we'll write this song, and if it doesn't work, we'll write another song later the same day. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. much more like you, it's a numbers game. You've got to churn out as much material as you humanly possibly can yeah. in the hopes that something sticks. You know, yeah. instead of getting precious with one show, working one show over like a lot and a lot and a lot, and then even like you say, if it doesn't run or if it doesn't do what you want it to do, taking it back and working it again. There's no like. Yeah. There's the continuous process. That's more the modern way of of doing things. Very much. Yeah, I mm-hmm. completely, I completely hear what you're saying, and I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a more, um, especially in the Rogers and Hart days, a more whipped off quality to the shows, and uh, yeah, and I think that you know it's almost like comparing it, but like uh, almost like the shows I. I wrote in college where I'm not saying they're producible now, but I feel for college, they were good mm-hmm. and I had a lot of fun doing them, but there is a certain more whipped off, just let's have fun quality. Yeah. And I feel that was that way in the twenties and thirties. And it's also, you could just produce more work. Yeah. Know? There's uh, more live, the, you know, live music to be produced. There was more of a, a crave for it. Than, yeah. Yeah. And also since they weren't written for, I mean, these all have, if you look up any of these songs, they were written for shows. Like they can tell you what show it, it, I love the the phrase that I kept running into when I was looking some of these up, which introduced by, I love yeah, that yeah. phrase as being the first person to sing the song was introduced by this artist. Yeah. Um, but more often than not written for a show that was basically a review centered around a star. Yeah. 
which had interchangeable parts. The things were always coming in and out. There wasn't it wasn't a book musical. It was like an organized, more organized vaudeville surrounded surrounded around one actor. Yeah. Um, usually a comedian. And, you know, Pal Joey is one of the few things Rogers and Hart wrote that was actually a book music, like a, what we would consider to be a book musical that people yeah. still do today, obviously. With yeah. more serious themes and a better book yeah. Yeah, yeah and a plot and a character and a whole yeah a whole thing to it it was much um, darker yeah yeah the rest of their stuff is just the songs are meant to be i mean babes in arms would be another one obviously that uh um that comes up a lot that um that uh is is actually also coming back in a in a new form oh is it uh yes it is it oh, is where? And it's, I know that. douglas carter bean was a guest on this show and did babes in arms and then after that called up Ted Chapin, who's also been a guest on the show at Rogers and Hammerstein, and said, I want to do a rewrite of Babes in Arms, and I want to do it. And it's now going up at uh, the Greenwich House Theater. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, he's, in, he's a very talented guy, so I yeah, imagine yeah. he'd be – he seems like a good choice. So when did you switch over from – from compo- like writing shows to writing books and then kind of back again. What was that? Yeah, yeah. Um, for you? I mean, I came to New York after college. I wrote these two shows in college and I wrote the music and lyrics for them. And another guy, um, a friend of mine from college wrote the scripts. And um, then I got into the BMI workshop. Actually, Doug Cohen helped mm. me get it, told me about it. We had met work. I was, I was, had a summer job in the Lincoln Center mailroom when I was in college, and I met Doug there. He had an entry-level job working in the development office. And we met, and we realized we were both like musicals and blah, blah, blah. He told me about BMI. And my stuff, my songs, I kind of, it was a classic going from Big Fish and Small Pond at Middlebury College. And I feel the stuff, I'm still proud of the stuff I wrote in college. I feel it was better than the stuff I wrote at BMI. I feel like I got into that workshop. I was right to have gotten in. But then when I was there, my stuff wasn't that good. Um, I had an occasional thing that went really well. But then for everyone I, that went well, I had two or three that would bomb. Hmm. And I was just frustrated. And like the main teacher there didn't like my music and was pretty vocal about it. But then um, the next year, uh, some people did like my music, but I just the basic consensus was that my lyrics were better than my music. And I got that point. And then I just, one day when I was 24 years old, I reread Charlie and the chocolate factory by Roald Dahl, just Mm. on a lark. And I kind of thought, you know, I'm going to write a children's novel. And because this musical thing isn't working out. And I thought stupidly, it would take like three months to do. And it took like, (laughs) what's the other night day of youth. Um, This book, which is still one of my favorite things I've written. And it got, it got published. It started my career. It's called the worldwide dessert contest. And it's a pretty long children's novel. And it took about a year and a half or two years. And I, I got an editor through that. It's not important how, but I got Mm -hmm. this really great guy and that sort of became my career. But then I turned that Worldwide Dessert Contest book into a musical. I got put on at Fordham University in my early 30s. And just in my 30s, I wrote a bunch of kids' musicals and uh, mm-hmm. that all went well. And, um, and they got put on at little local places. And that's sort of what led sort of to the frustration of leaving 13. I mean, the show 13 was Jason Robert Brown's idea, but mm-hmm. I met him it's kind of a funny story how I met him just um, I was like 40 by then 
and he the last five years had just come out and had an you know people who were smart loved it but ben brantley didn't right <laughs> and it closed <laughs> nothing against ben brantley but i just think he's right wrote writes very well but i kind of question his judgment let's just leave it at that sure and this in the last five years is an example because i thought it was great and yeah. um he um i saw jason give a talk and he seemed kind of frustrated and he kept saying um I just want to write a show. I'm going to forget all the serious stuff. I just want to write a show about dancing teenagers. And um, I was in the audience and I just had this young adult novel come out called Born Too Short, which is about a comic novel about two eighth grade boys. And long story short, I knew somebody who knew Jason because New York is kind of a small world. I didn't know him, mm -hmm. but I knew somebody who got him a copy of the book for me. And mm -hmm. Jason read it and liked it and said he would, he had this idea for musical 13. Anyway, my impetus behind that is wanting to write 13. First of all, wanting to work with Jason was the main thing, but I felt I'd spent my thirties writing music and lyrics for these kids musicals that mm -hmm. people would like, but there was no future in them. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody. Um, in fact, one of them I really love now I'm 25 years later trying to resurrect or just, you know, um, mm -hmm. get it back out there. I don't know if I'll be successful, but I do, um, so there was a certain, so I was composing all through my thirties, but, um, you know, if you meet somebody, I, I mean, I think for young writers to hear if you, uh, you know, if you meet somebody like Jason Robert Brown or with evolution, of man, Doug Cohen mm -hmm. for about a day, Doug and I talked about co-writing the music for evolution of man. And I came up with some song titles and he wrote the music. And I just thought, you know, uh, Doug's music is much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with Doug writing the music. <laughs> and, um, and Jason, you know, obviously, you know, it was like, I was thrilled to work with him. You know, he wrote the music and lyrics and that's how it was. And I was like, great, mm -hmm. I'm in, Yeah, you know? So I don't, um, yeah, I love playing piano now. I play piano. I teach piano a little bit. It's kind of a hobby. I play classical music on piano. Um, I even take lessons, piano lessons sometimes. Hmm. And I play well, but my, I don't really compose that much. It's just hasn't been hmm. the center of my creatively what I do for like 20 or 30 years. Sure. Hasn't. So, you know, people change. So I think that's <laughs> another, um, that's another incredibly profound thing I'm going to say on your show, but uh, for anybody young listening, I feel like it really helped me. It was really smart. It was, it wasn't anything I planned, but that I, started writing this book, The Worldwide Dessert Contest, because if I just doggedly stayed with musicals at age mm -hmm. 25 after my stuff didn't go well and the BMI workshop, um, I don't think I would have gotten anywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just, it kind of went in this weird circuitous route. Well, there is a, there's a, I think that's important for people to hear though, because it is, it, it's, it's, the, it's the ability to recognize what you're good at when you want to be creative, but also what makes you happy. Because obviously, if music was filling every single part of your soul, then it wouldn't matter what the people said. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't care. It would have Very been, you know, point. that's the thing. But, like, obviously, you loved writing music. You still write music. You still play music. But you were you said, that's not the that's not the thing that sets me on fire. I just, I like the words that people are really responding. And I like that, too. 
and you focus on that and you go, hey, this this I'm good at. Like this, and you do and it's, I want to make so if the audience who doesn't know that you do co-write the lyrics to Evolution of Man yes, yeah, with yeah. Doug. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I co-wrote them. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it is songwriting is something you're still doing, it, yeah. e- even if you're not writing music. So but it it's that I, I think it's really important to Folk, uh, for a lot of creative people, especially young people, focus on what do you want to do? Like the big question, not like, do, do you want to be Stephen Sondheim? Okay, well, what does that mean? Like, yeah, do you yeah. want to, <laughs> do you want to, do you want to write music or in lyrics or do you want to write shows? And if you want to write show or do you want to tell stories and what does that look like? You know, what what is the thing you really, really get jized about? And then focus on that and you will find that maybe it isn't what you set out to do, but it will, it's the thing that makes you happy. It's the secret inside the the passion is yeah the, oh that's the thing that's what i get the juice from that's what i really really love doing it's interesting i also found that i don't write music anymore for the two shows that anybody listening to this podcast would have heard of 13 and the evolution of man um mm-hmm. i still get, would get kind of the same visceral thrill almost as if i wrote the music even though i didn't mm-hmm. just being part mm-hmm. of the process and with Doug's case, you know, we co-wrote the lyrics. I was very involved in the songs. In 13, mm-hmm. I did not write any of the lyrics. But, you know, I was obviously there, you know, and I was the right. first one to hear. One of the first people to hear a them, lot yeah. of those songs. And we would discuss them. And um, often Jason would go in a completely different direction and come up with something different. And it was thrilling. And then when you hear him on stage, I feel like um, it is interesting. I didn't. I realized I didn't need to be the guy writing the music, which sort of was good. So that kind of dovetail with, um, you know, what I felt I was more talented at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like people always say, oh, I'm too, like, I don't want to totally put down my music because it's, it's okay. But, you know, the fact <laughs> is there's people like Jason and Doug in the world, and then there's there's major heavy hitters out there, you know? Yeah. And it's very competitive. And, like, mm-hmm. you feel like... Um, you know, if you, if you aren't at that level, um, you know, just like, well, and you got to love compete, it. Compete, I mean, compete with what, like you feel you can really bring something, your A game yeah. to the table, you know? Right. And yeah. it sounds like that. I mean, you wanted to write, you wanted to tell stories and you wanted to write shows and you're yeah. still doing that. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah. So that's the, it is, there is, I think we lose a lot in, in when we go into entertainment, especially when, when we go to school for it, that, that, that kind of decision-making can feel like quitting to people. Yeah. And it's, it's not quitting. It is, it's figuring out what you're good at and then doing that. Like yes. that's the whole point. Totally. <laughs> that's the whole thing. You know, do you want to, what do you want to, it's really, it's a hard question because everybody's like, Oh, I want to be, you know, I want to be a star. I want to be yeah. this. Or I want to be that. There's only one Stephen Sondheim ever in history. Yeah, Not even exactly. like working today. There's only one Jason Robert Brown, and there's only you know five to ten composers on that level. You know, in New York, at any yeah. given moment, is obviously. And then there's a lot of other people writing music. You you if you want to be doing the thing, you got to find what's what's the thing that makes you special that puts you in the room yes. that nobody else can do. No, 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 that's, that's good. what you, that's yeah. very good point. I feel like I was yeah. really, um, I mean, there's some fortuitous and for, you know, it's talent plus hard work, plus a little bit of luck, you know? Oh um, yeah. And I feel like just meeting in New York, if you're here and you get to know people and like, you're just basically, you know, a nice person that's like, you kind of network. I, it was weird that I, um, 
I mean, Doug, I'd known since, you know, I was in college, mm-hmm. but we had never thought of working, you know, his musical theater career was going, um, was sort of taking off and going well. And that was the focus of what he was doing. And I was doing mm-hmm. children's books and we were still really good friends, but like, you know, have lunch once a year type friends, but had sure. a great time. And then, um, so sort of like after 13, it's like, oh God, Doug Cohen, you know, he's, you know, I listened, I don't know if you know his show, The Gig. I'm a big yeah. fan of it. There's mm-hmm. some like just amazing music in it. Really good. And it's, I find the show touching. And um, I just heard a recording of it and I was like, wow, Doug's really good. He'd be great to work on Nine Wives, which became Evolution of Man. But um, mm-hmm. getting back to this other thing, there is a certain amount of, I'm not even sure what point I'm making, but it was sort of lucky that I went to see Jason give this talk about the last five years Sure, that he mentioned totally facetiously. I want to write it. Just, I just want to write shows about dancing teenagers. Right. And that month I had had literally probably one of the better, better things I've written this book born too short come out. And then through New York connections, there's a woman named um, Susan Ross. Her stage name is Susan Blair Ross. And she's a really good actress. She's been in a bunch of things. Um, she knew him and I knew it and I was all friends with her. And she said, I uh, left her a message saying, do you think you could um, show my book to Jason Robert Brown? And she was, mm-hmm. this is in the years of voicemail. And I got, a, I right. left the apartment for an hour and I came back and there was a message on my machine saying, Hey Dan, great to hear from you. I just called Jason and he said, he'd love to look at your book. And it like happened that, that fast. So there was a sort yeah. of, and then he liked it, you know, which obviously right. was, that was the part of, uh, anyway. That's where the just, talent comes it's in. It's just weird how things happen. Yeah. So I guess there's another lesson, just keeping your head in the game and keeping a lot of irons in the fire and mm-hmm. you never know which one is going to land. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is so much of it is based on chance. And I think more of it's based on chance and luck than we're comfortable Probably. That's very true. Uh, (laughs) That's a good word. Then we're comfortable acknowledging. Yeah, because it is really like, I I think one of the, it's also a good thing, I think, to be, if you can, it's it's what, to get back to something else we were talking about, though, it's one of the things that made the Beatles what they were. Like, they came along when they came along. Like, they were great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They were really, really good. But they came along at a very specific time when they were needed. I mean, one of the great stories that's always told is when they auditioned, they had their very first record company audition for Decca and the guy turned them down famously said guitar groups are on their way out. Yeah. Which was true in 1962. It's just that the Beatles hadn't come along yet to kick guitar groups into like the rest of the, you know, several decades in a row of, of that kind of music. But the guy wasn't wrong. You know, he just, he couldn't see what was in front of him. But it's also important to know that they had to get turned down there because then they had to go work with George Martin, and then that's what made them the Beatles. Yes. Like it, it's totally. so there's so, but that that is so much randomness. Yes, that creates this thing that is this miraculous occurrence. It's a miracle that Stephen Sondheim's mother, when she left his father, moved to Bucks County, Pennsylvania, next, next to the Hammersteins. Oh, no. Right, yeah. like that's a miracle. No, that's when you the, think about the, it, it is, isn't it? I never the, thought about the of that randomness. Before. Is that is incredible, and. It's all of all these stories end up with, you know, every story you've heard about things like I was just walking down the street one day and bumped yeah. into so and so. And he said, you know what you should do? You should go see this. That's how life happens. <laughs> That's yeah, how yeah, these yeah. things no, it occur. Is. It's also just thinking this lucky thing. Most of my books are kind of more rolled. Uh, the children's books are more rolled doll 
for lack of a better way to put it. It was influenced by mm-hmm. him and E.B. White kind of fantasy things. Mm-hmm. This book was more, uh, it was funny, but it was more realistic about teenagers today. So it was like the perfect kind of collaborator he was looking for. Mm-hmm. He, had this, he had the idea for 13 from like the late 90s. Of, but, you know, when mm. he showed me the idea, I mean, it was, um, in a way, it was fully flesh. In a way, it was very bare bones. I mean, it was like a, a half a page. There's the mm. kid, Evan Goldman, and he moves, you know, I, you know, whatever the story is. Um, and then, you know, obviously, it took years of fleshing out. But, um, I, uh, yeah, it is good. So it was fortuitous. It was good. The book was good. And it was good. It was that book. <laughs> you know, yeah. If I right. showed him like the worldwide dessert concert, we might have said this is fun. This is nothing to do with thirteen. So that's Evolution of Man is playing at the, the American Theater Group. It opens on October sixteenth. Yes, and Basking Ridge, Basking Ridge, New, Ridge Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, it's a beautiful theater, and um, the the Jim Vargas who runs it has done a great job, and and it's a fun show. You know, with some I think it's yeah, has a lot of laughs and some really good songs and. I think people would enjoy it. And you can get the the, the Off-Broadway cast album is available. It is. It stars yeah. um, Max Crum and right. Ali Trim, who was in 13. And right. Max Crum, who was in one, was in Greece. This very talented actress named Leslie Hyatt, who um, people may not have heard of, but she's great. And it's the three of them. And uh, the album came out great. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. It did. The it. album sounds beautiful. I'm thrilled yeah. with it. Uh, thanks. What's the matter with Henry? He's strangely full of have you seen my buddy Henry? There's a shuffle in his step. Wherever you look, he's with Tamar. In every nook, guess what, Tamar? I'm off the hook, all for a lady named Tamar. So she's got a past that's kind of bleak. And visits her shrink three times a week. She is my life, my CPR, my Tamar. Hi, Mom. No, there's some songs in there. I'm really, and it was also good not to toot my own horn or whatever, or Doug's horn, really. It's really Doug. Um, I was in rehearsal theater listening, and I hadn't really listened to the music in two years. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, this Doug Cohen guy's really good. Yeah, you know, right. Some, like, this kid's going places. The music is really good. <laughs> and the music director was saying, God, this phrase is good. You know, she was mm-hmm. really praising him. He wasn't there. I have to I have to call him and tell him this. I forgot. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's a very smart, talented writer. And it's been yes, he is. to work with him. So it's, yes. it's, been, it's been fun. It's yeah. so great. Hard crashing back into Ella Fitzgerald for a minute, though. I oh, please. Yeah, you. let's lay it on me. What is your favorite song on the album? Oh, that's so hard. Um, it's a big album. We didn't cover the fact that it's 34 songs over yeah, two yeah. LPs. Like I say, <laughs> it is when it isn't the whole songbook, but it is a representative percentage of, of yeah. the songs. It really you know is the best. Art. I mean, she really on the yeah. songbook, for those who don't know, she did Cole Porter, she did Gershwin, she did Irving Berlin, and she really, they're both double albums back in the day. Yeah. Right. You know, those of us remember. And that's yes. a lot of songs. You know, that yeah. is. And in, in the Rogers and Hart one, I think she really, there aren't many of their great songs she did not include. I mean, the definitive version that she's heralded for in this album is her like version of Bewitch Bothered and Bewildered, which is like right. seven minutes. Um, and it's really beautiful. 
Is yeah. that my favorite? I don't know. I mean, I used to really love, um, I love Wait Till You See Her. I love It Never Entered My Mind. I just, I love mm-hmm. playing that song on the piano. I think it just, it's beautiful. It sort of breaks my heart. I loved, um, mm-hmm. here, now I'm going to end listing them all. So, well, but you got to pick a favorite song so I can play something over the closing credits. So what, which one are you going to, which one do you hey, want to um, It with? Never Entered My Mind. Okay, there you go. I'll pick that. Check that. Just because we'll, we'll run with that. And that because it's a great <laughs> tune. It's really wistful. It's heartbreaking. And really, mm-hmm. it has maybe my favorite Larry Hart line, which is, you know, Ooh. once I laugh when I heard you saying that I'd be playing solitaire, uneasy in my easy chair. Mm-hmm. It never entered yeah. my mind. That's just like, that's really sort of lyrical brilliance, uneasy mm-hmm. in my easy chair, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, for that, I'll pick that song. All right. But, Sold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Dan, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation. Where can people find you and what you're doing and where to get your yeah, stuff? Yeah, I, um, I have a website that I try to keep updated. It's danellish.com. And um, yeah, and I try to keep, the, you know, just what I'm doing. And um, I'm working on a sequel to my, uh, this book 30 years later, my first book, The Worldwide Dessert Contest. And I'm, you know, the show with Doug and, um, yeah, so I'm just you're busy. Yeah, yeah it's good. trying to do different things. I'm just trying to, you know, still just trying to keep a lot of balls in the air. And Dan, thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been a thrill, Patrick. It's been great to meet you, and I hope we can continue this conversation in person one day. Once I left when I heard you say that I'd be playing solitaire. Uneasy in my easy chair It never entered my mind Once you told me I was mistaken That I'd awaken with the sun And on her For one, it never entered my mind. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Dan Ellis for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Sing the maiden's prayer